What is up, everyone? I hope you all enjoyed the big game last night. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone listening to this on Monday. We are not going to talk about either of those things. Sorry. The Charleston Cougars had just one game last week, but it was a big one on the road at first place UNCW. CFC falls behind early, makes a big comeback, but doesn't get the W. Tough result, but there's really no time to feel down on yourself because the Cougars have an absolutely jam-packed final two weeks of the regular season. Three games at home this week starting tonight against Drexel. And then that's it for the home schedule. The Cougars play their final four games on the road the final week of the regular season. In total, it's seven games in 15 days. Pretty tough, but that's how things fall this season. So here to recap the game over the weekend and preview what's ahead is our pal Redshirt Jr. Yes, he has a real name, but I prefer this one. Check him out at Redshirt Jr. on Twitter and Instagram for some fun CFC and CAA hoop stuff. Subscribe to the pod if you have not already. Give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Let's go. All right, we're here with the one they call Red Shirt Jr. Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing? Not much, man. I'm doing well. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. I wish we had more to uh, write home about about our Cougars. Uh, big game this week. Only one game. Cougars on the road at Wilmington to face the number one team in the conference. Exciting game, but ultimately a very frustrating game, I thought. And we'll we'll get into that. Cougars lose this one after a valiant comeback, 85 to 79. I'll kick it over to you first. What were your takeaways from this one? Uh, I thought I thought it was a pretty symbolic game. Uh, sort of some familiar problems plagued us. We got so close uh, multiple times. You know, had the lead at one point in the first half, and yeah, just things like turnovers. Uh, pretty pretty quick whistle I felt from the UNCW. Uh, not from the, not from them from the officials. Where you know, there's just avoidable problems still that we can't seem to avoid. Yeah, we saw some of those issues that were not as present during the three-game win streak that the Cougars were on, namely the turnovers and not being able to play defense without fouling. So many fouls in this one, and we kind of expected that just because of the way UNCW plays. They spread it out with five guards. They'll either shoot a three or take you off the dribble one-on-one, and Charleston has not been able to solve that. Um, But I thought this loss really came down to defense, UNCW scores 85 points, shoots 54%, which was down from the first half. I think in the first half they shot 60-plus for the majority of that. CFC records no blocks on defense. They commit 25 personal fouls. They send UNCW to the line 35 times. UNCW only had 10 turnovers, so Charleston's defense wasn't getting much done. And Charleston's offense was okay. You know, they hit a ton of threes, which they needed to do. But ultimately, I thought the defense really sank this this Cougar team. Yeah, and and you have to give some credit to UNC Wilmington because I was taking notes on this game, and it's just like, how do you stop Jalen Sims? Like, there's just times where he's he so quick, he, he can hit it from anywhere. Yeah, and there's just times where it's like, I mean, you'd only change the result. Like the process looked fine, but I agree, we, we definitely had some defensive lapses, and like you said, the turnover differential was pretty bad. We had that really close in the first half, which I think was part of why, you know, we were, we had the upper hand we were right behind. It was a one possession game for a lot of that, where the second half, I think they had like five turnovers or something. And then we had like 10 or 11 and just kind of got out of hand, especially like early in the second half. 
Yeah, Kelsey mentioned the second half turnovers in his post game. That was definitely pretty bad. And there was a couple possessions that were just absolute momentum killers. So John Meeks and Brennan Tucker kind of lead this spirited comeback, get it down to a one or two possession game at multiple different instances. But a couple plays stood out to me that really killed Charleston's momentum. The biggest one to me was when they're making that run. I believe it was a two-point game. Demetrius Underwood picks off, I think, Jalen Sims, takes it the other way, finds John Meeks for a wide-open three that clanks off. That was a killer. That would have given Charleston the lead and completed that comeback. The other one was after Baker from UNCW, who had the game of his life, career high in points for him. He misses two free throws. Charleston goes the other way, and Nick Farrar steps out of bounds. And then the final one was whatever the hell the backcourt thing was toward the end of the game where everyone including the announcers seemed to think uncw only had a second to get it in john meeks like dives on the ball but he goes out of bounds and we think that uncw is like about to have a turnover on the this backcourt issue nothing happens game continues and i think they hit free throws or something did you see the same thing those those plays in particular standing out yeah, I actually wrote down. I I only a few plays I wrote down. Those were three I wrote down. I also had the uh, you tweeted about like uh, the Tucker Horton back to back three. That was a positive one I had written down. Yeah, but those three were backbreakers. And uh, the the Underwood steal you mentioned, like I rewatched the second half this morning, and like that that segment is just just a killer because you know you get the look you want with Meeks wide open. You play great defense. He misses the shot and then Underwood gets called for like a soft foul uh, trying to get the rebound where it's just, you could tell he was frustrated. He had a couple calls that were just, you know, maybe they were fouls, but it was, it was pretty light and I don't think he was too happy with it. But uh, yeah, that's that's the in particular. It's like you go from possibly taking the lead to giving UNCW the chance to make it a two possession game. And then, uh, yeah, like he's you mentioned Nick Farrar stepping on the, the baseline there, or the sideline. Uh, the, and Ben Burnham had one like the, almost the same exact play, like clean yeah. lane to the basket. It's both of those are two points, but they end up being turnovers. So yeah, those types of plays will kill you. And I feel like it's a similar conversation to when I was on last time, and we're just like, you can point to these like just a couple little plays where we turn it over, and it, it, that's a, a game breaking type of swing. There were some bad turnovers. If Dokimov had. A live turnover on the perimeter that went the other way. Underwood had a few bad ones. Yeah, they're just they're just backbreakers, and it was something that Charleston had cleaned up for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Underwood, and Kelsey called him out in the post game as well. He was not good for the first thirty minutes of the game. He really turned it on the final ten minutes, but Underwood was not good. That definitely in the first half and for large stretches of the second half, for the majority of the game, he had one point, multiple missed free throws, multiple turnovers. And for a guy who's competing for defensive player of the year, he got lit up pretty badly by Jalen Sims. Um, mm-hmm. I don't he I don't think he was the primary assignment on that the entire time, but Sims and Baker really had their way with Charleston. Not to say that Underwood was the only one getting eaten alive on defense, because every time I saw Smart isolated on the perimeter against one of those guys, I know the Charleston bench was getting into it when Smart would would stay with them, but it was just barbecue chicken every time on the perimeter and uncw repeatedly just feasted on smart lampton rain smith especially on the perimeter abdokimov everybody kind of took took their lumps from uncw's guards in this one seemed like yeah and those guys are relentless like you said they just they're either gonna get a three or they're gonna attack like attack the rim and 
at a certain point, there's just not a lot of guys on Charleston that can keep up with like the, the speed like that. And uh, I think that paid dividends for them because, you know, you, if you get OC out of the game, I think he only had like 15 minutes or something. And, and, you know, he was like two, two shot attempts. And in the first game uh, he, he didn't play much either. I think for basically yeah. the same reason. And, you know, you look and he's bigger than everyone else out there. That could be, you know, something you have an advantage on trying to trying to score in the post. But if you can't keep up on defense, then that they neutralize you there. That was the chess match I was watching. I wanted to see if Pat Kelsey was going to go with that small ball lineup with Meeks at the five to try to keep up with these these guards. And he, really, he kept the same rotation he's always had. And I think he did that to win on the boards, which Charleston dominated the glass. I think they were plus 13 for the game on rebounds and had a 14 to two advantage on offensive rebounding. So they dominated the glass, but the thing is, it's not like any of Charleston's bigs outside of Meeks can really feast on that smaller lineup and, you know, take the ball inside and score. Meeks has played great in the two games against UNCW because I think he can do that. But Smart, Lampton, Fi, even Farrar in this game, who had had a not so great game after the game of his life against Elon, zero points, two turnovers, two fouls, and just a limited role. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the Charleston bigs are going to punish you for going small on offense. Yeah, they'll collect boards, and that really kept Charleston in the game. Uh, there's the second chance points, but it's it's a loss defensively. Yeah, and and like you said, it's you know it's a chess match. At a certain point, you know you have to try to choose what you think gives your team the best advantage. It seems that you know Kelsey, I think, did try to uh, you know keep like a smaller lineup in there, but it almost. You know, when we had guys covering Sims, he was still hitting shots. And so there was a certain point of like, uh, you know, they just beat us like straight up. And uh, I know that the, the pregame interview coach uh, Siddle was saying he wanted to, you know, limit the offensive rebounds. I went and looked back and I saw they actually, I, I think we had two offensive rebounds in the home game, which is pretty surprising because that's something we do really well. Yeah. We're bigger. Um, so at the halftime interview, he was saying that, you, we they gave up six offensive rebounds i think in like the first six minutes the first eight minutes something yeah. like that so we did beat them but you know what if you look at like the last three quarters of the game although we were still had an advantage on the glass i think they got uh, a bit better at sort of gang rebounding and you know, limiting that advantage for us well the other thing is if you do go small if charleston does roll out a small lineup there's only so many guards on the team who are plus defenders it's really underwood and horton Maybe Tucker a little bit, but Rain of Dokimov, like I said, those guys had a really tough time today. I mean, Rain had a team worst minus eighteen while he was on the court, wow. and we got to talk about Rain because when he's when his shots not falling, he's you know not contributing much in other ways. It's not like he's a plus defender or a plus passer. He tried going to the rim one time in this game and he got swatted. So yeah, even if you do go, if you try to match. UNCW one-on-one, they're still going to kill you with that small lineup because Charleston just doesn't have enough laterally fast players outside of Horton Underwood and Tucker. Right. Yeah. And, and even on offense, I felt like, yeah, they were doing a good job on Underwood inside, especially like you mentioned, the first half was a few turnovers, which is ugly, but you know, Brendan Tucker was able, he was the seemingly the only guy who was able to really penetrate like time and time again, kind of beating guys off the dribble. And yeah, yeah it's just ultimately, there's just UNCW has five guys that sort of could match up with that skill set. Yeah. And I think it's something we all overlooked in the preseason when people had Wilmington at the bottom of the league was because of their results last year, but 
They're an old team. They're an experienced team. They've got three 1,000-point career scores in the starting lineup. And they'll just spread you out and beat you one-on-one. That's what Kelsey keeps saying. And the personnel on Charleston's team just doesn't match up well with that kind of team. Brendan Tucker seems like he would fit in great on, on mm-hmm. UNCW because he's exactly that type of player. And he had a great a great night. And we should talk about some of the positives. I mean, Brendan Tucker was really good. John Meeks, like I said, was dominant. 21 points, 7 for 14 from the field, 3 for 6 from 3. He also he was one rebound shy of a double-double. It's a good matchup for Meeks because he's got size, he's got skill inside, he can score. The Cougars made 13 threes. Like, I don't know how replicable that is moving forward. That's a really good mark for them. They almost shot 50% from deep. Raekwon Horton, again, another really solid night. 11 points for him. Evdokimov got in on the action, hit two threes. But... It was the defense. Any other highlights offensively for the Cougs? Um, yeah, just agree with what you said about, you know, John Meeks really taking over. And he obviously had a really strong first game against them as well. And I was watching the interview with Siddle, uh, half, or not halftime, it was before the game. They're asking, like, hey, John Meeks was a problem last time. And he's like, yeah, I mean, he's just, he basically said that he's just such a good player that, you, you know, you can try to deny him the ball, you can help, and he can still put up 20 on you. And I didn't think UNCW even did a bad job, you know. Like they they denied him the ball a good bit, and he's John Meeks. So he had some still, great uh, passes in this game too. Yeah, when he had some he of those cross court passes to find shooters. Right. Yeah, he had. I know he had. I think four turnovers, but he he had some really nice passes, especially during that second half run. And we should credit Charleston for that run. I mean, they were down fourteen early in the second half. They pushed back. I think Meeks had. Five straight points at one point. You mentioned the Brendan Tucker and Raekwon Horton back-to-back threes that cut a 12-point lead down to six. That was huge. But they needed that urgency in the first half because, again, it's just like the Elon game. We saw them a couple times this year. We've seen Charleston start out pretty lethargically. You know, these, like, bad turnovers, just, like, not coming out of the gates on fire. Trask was an unbelievable atmosphere. I mean, they were rocking, and... Just like Elon did, just like Hofstra did, punched Charleston in the mouth early, and Charleston then had to mount this comeback. But unlike the Elon game, they just didn't get over the hump when they needed to. And, and we mentioned those three kind of momentum-killing plays. Right. And I think also the Elon game, we had maybe a bit more production off the bench, too. Like, I mean, you have like Nick, Nick Farrar going unconscious, and we didn't really have... Like, Raekwon Horton, definitely a strong game. Love watching him play, and, and yeah. his minutes going up has been really fun. But yeah, just, you know, I think we had like three guys in double figures or something where some guys stepped up, but we really would have benefited from another guy getting double figures. One thing I want to mention about Raekwon Horton, I loved seeing him pissed off at the end of the game. I don't know if you you caught it on the broadcast, but the final buzzer goes off and UNCW starts celebrating and Raekwon's like slamming his fists on his legs, like pissed off that they let this one slip. So love seeing that from him. I agree. I mean, he's... Just awesome to watch on defense. And his three-point stroke has really been nice the last couple games. I think he's something like four for seven his last couple games. Um, Yeah, he's been great. But needed a good game from Rain Smith. Needed a good game from Underwood or Farrar. Just that one additional piece to help things out, especially if the defense isn't going to show up and and Charleston just didn't get it. So spirited comeback from the Cougs. Wish they could have pulled it out. But they take the L, and now hopefully that's just a, um, a motivating factor for them because they have no time to sit and, and feel bad about themselves. 
seven games over the final 15 days of the season. Anything else from this UNCW game before we look ahead, though? Um, not really. I guess maybe focusing a bit on the negatives, but I do feel a certain sense. I mean, you know, like you said, Trask was rocking. We went in. We played a very competitive, fun-to-watch game against a really good team. It's like yeah, you can definitely take some positives from that moving forward. Hopefully the, t- the team does that um, because yeah. it's a pretty brutal final stretch for the Cougars. Um, they play their final three home games this week, and then they're on the road for the final four games uh, the final week of the season before we get into March. The last thing I'll, I'll mention, Charleston has not lost a conference game by more than eight points. There's no double-digit conference losses so far this season, which is pretty – I'm going to regret saying that. I know that. Now we're going to lose by 11 or 12 to Drexel at home, but – yeah, I, thought, you said I, thought that was a, I felt like that was an encouraging stat. Drexel, Monday night. This was a game that was originally scheduled for earlier in the year, but COVID pauses uh, caused the reschedule. So this is the first time Charleston's going to see this Drexel team. They'll see them twice in the final two weeks of the season. Dragons are obviously the defending champions uh, in the league, but they're 7-6. and six. Cam Winter, we know him, preseason player of the year. What do you think of this Drexel team? What are you looking for Monday night? I'm a bit scared of this Drexel team, I have to be honest. I think they're pretty good. The the loss to Hofstra at home, a bit disappointing for them, but obviously Hofstra is a really good team. Kind of say the same thing about a lot of these teams where you know just very balanced and and Charleston will have probably a bit of an advantage being at home, but it's I don't think there's too much between the sides. Um, and Amari Williams playing in uh, Butler's stead has been, I mean, Butler's yeah. back now, but just it's been his coming out season. So I think, you know, they have some big guys that can really compete pretty different uh, roster construction from the Seahawks. Yeah. Is Amari Williams, their best player, like as in conference play or second best player, maybe behind winter. I mean, he's been awesome. Like haven't missed James Butler a a minute. Right. They've looked better without him at times where it's, you know, like Amari Williams running the, running the floor and he can handle it well. Yeah. Block shots. Right. Yeah, so I was digging deeper into Drexel's stats because I was trying to highlight what they do well, and they don't do anything exceptionally well, and they don't, but they don't do anything exceptionally poorly. Like every stat on like the CAA stat website, Drexel ranks between like fourth and sixth in the league. They're just like solid across the board, which is probably why they they have like a 500 record because they're like mm-hmm. just solid, not great, not poor at any one thing. So. Charleston needs these these wins, especially at home, and I really hope they can carry some of the positives from that UNCW game into this one because now it is all about just avoiding that play-in game. Uh, so Charleston's competing with Elon, William & Mary, and Northeastern for that. Maybe they can make a move up the standings a little bit, but really I think they're just trying to avoid that, that play-in spot. So just to give everyone an updated rankings heading into the final two weeks of the CAA season, uh, first place UNCW at eleven and two, Towson second at ten and three, Hofstra third at nine and four, and then you get into this jumbled mess. Fourth place Delaware at seven and five, fifth place Drexel at seven and six, sixth place Charleston at five and six, seventh is Elon at five and eight. JMU, we're not worried about them, but they're also five and eight. William and Mary four and nine, Northeastern one and thirteen. So Charleston's tied with Elon. In the win column, they have the edge in losses because they haven't played as many games. And then William and Mary is a game back, four and or a game back in the win column, four and nine. Charleston thankfully has the the tiebreaker over both these teams because Charleston swept both of them. But what's your take on the standings? 
What do you think the odds are that Charleston can avoid that dreaded play-in game come tourney time? I think the odds are are decent, especially like you mentioned, having the tiebreaker over those two teams, because if, if it gets into, it really could get into a tie. So you like to at least have the edge there. But as you mentioned, I mean, the schedule down the stretch is I'm, as tough as you could ask for to have four road games against like four of the strongest teams uh, in the conferences. So I think you have to assume there's some L's coming. Uh, we hope not, but. Here's the final stretch for the four teams competing to to not play in that play-in. CFC, Drexel, JMU, and Towson at home. Drexel and JMU are right there in the standings with CFC, and Towson might be the best team in the league. And then you go on the road at Northeastern, which is always tough, even though Northeastern's struggling. At Delaware, preseason favorite. At Drexel, defending champs. And at Hofstra, which might be one of the two or three best teams in the league. So yeah, tough, tough final stretch. Northeastern has an easy, easy schedule. It's cupcakes, but I think they're already too far back. They go at Hofstra, which is tough, but then they finish at home with Charleston, William and Mary, and Elon. Elon's schedule, Hofstra, Delaware, Drexel at home, and then at Hofstra at Northeastern. William and Mary goes on the road to UNCW. That's going to be a loss for them. They host Drexel, Delaware, and they go on the road at Northeastern, on the road at Hofstra. That's a that's a tough stretch for, for the tribe. So uh, Northeastern probably can't catch Charleston. Need William and Mary to not pull any upsets, and if Elon could lose a couple games too, that would be that would be great. But you're right, Charleston's got to hold serve at home as best they can and sneak in some wins at preseason favorite type type venues. Yeah, and and I feel like the goal with this team has always been to to be playing their best basketball this time of the year, not to be you know in first. That, that, I mean that's the goal, but not really the expectation. So, like you said, if we can hold serve, if we can really take care of our business, I think the team has to feel pretty good about that. And if we are able to do that against quality opponents, I think that does show, you know, how much the team has progressed uh, even over the last like month or two, but since the start of the season. Yeah. I want to talk about progression because I was feeling pretty good during this win streak, but again, the turnovers and fouling thing was, those were issues at the very beginning of the year. And it was a shame to see those creep back up. Maybe it's an anomaly and maybe it's because you're on the road at first place UNCW, I would hate for them to to go back down that route. Obviously, players like Horton have been getting better as the season's gone on. Ben Burnham's been really solid, but Rain Smith and Babacar Five have been kind of fading. Lampton's gotten a little bit better. Smart's been solid. Meeks has been as expected. I would love for Rain Smith to get out of his out of his funk. I would love for Nick Ferrara to, to show a little bit more consistency. But the team's just gotta gotta clean up these self inflicted errors, which is something we've talked about, like you said, every every week this season there's a sort of betting content guy who goes by the name Lockie Lockerson, but uh, he does okay. like NFL college basketball. He's a really smart guy. And he always says there's teams in the NFL that people always talk about, like the chiefs were doing it a lot earlier in the year. It's like, man, if they just didn't turn it over three times, they'd win that game. And, and when you keep saying that week after week, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is baked into the team. Like it's you know, every team would be really good if they didn't turn it over. Yeah. X amount of times. So, yeah, and like you said, got away from those tendencies during the win streak and to see it rear its ugly head here, you know, it, that that's not going to cut it against, you know, Hofstra and JMU and really against most teams in the conference. Yeah, and the defense has got a – there's a lot of talented guards in the CAA. You know, we saw Aaron Estrada cut up the CFC defense. I would expect that again. We haven't seen Cam Winter yet, but he's going to do his thing against Charleston, so – Gotta gotta clean those things up. But this is a young team. 
I already mentioned how old UNCW is. Charleston kind of has these momentum swings like any young team does where, you know, they're really feeling themselves for a little bit and they, they go on these runs and they make these comebacks and they go on these stretches where they just can't hold on to the ball and they can't stop anybody. So, yeah, hopefully they, they develop some maturity down the stretch and some of those practice habits that really benefited them during that win streak remain intact despite, you know, some, some adversity. One other thing that I've been thinking about last couple games, um, it's not always an issue, but when rain comes out, starts cold, usually not a great indicator. Yep. And, and on the other hand, Brandon Tucker has been one of the most, if not the most consistent player. I think he's been a bit better at home, but he's been very consistent and uh, he's more experienced at a certain point. I'd be curious to see if uh, Tucker takes any starts away from rain. That's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not going to tell coach Kelsey what to do, but (laughs) Uh, I think it's pretty interesting just because of, you know, rain can, can be very hit or miss. Whereas Brendan's one, he's faster and two been a bit steadier. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum. Uh, the defenses still respect rain. I mean, you saw guys glued to him in the UNCW game and thankfully he wasn't forcing the issue like he had in that Elon game. He only took a, a few shots in this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I wonder if we'll see a, uh, a starting lineup shake up. I think they kind of like, Brendan Tucker as a six man, you know, handle the ball a little bit and just go out there and score. That's, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Even though there's only two weeks left, you do have seven games during that stretch. You're going to be playing every other night. We'll see. That's a good, good question. The back and forth, you know, like they're having one day off and then you're playing again, especially down the stretch with four games on the road where it's like, okay, we're going to have, yeah, one day off between Delaware and Drexel and one day off between Drexel and Hofstra. And I guess there is a certain yeah. uh, like chemistry element to it where you you know you get a rotation set you don't want to all of a sudden so like Rain has a bad game and you take him out and he's not starting you don't want to shake his confidence or and I think you're yeah. right that there are advantages to having uh, Brendan Tucker coming off the bench with ball security and just sort of like a spark plug. I remember what I wanted to say when you were mentioning self-inflicted errors. I was looking this up on Ken Palm yesterday. Charleston every game essentially hands the other team 40% of their points from the line. Like they just put other teams on the line so frequently. The only team in the CAA that does it more is Elon, which is probably why we have swept Elon. But yeah, every game you're just putting the your opponent on the line, giving them freebies uh, because of these fouls. Yeah, that's brutal. And, and there is a difference between fouling a lot and sort of fouling a lot like in, in ways that generate shots too. So, I mean, we're probably fouling more than most teams you know in the paint uh and getting guys like once they're in the bonus then obviously it's downhill from there i think in this game unc wilmington basically had double the points and attempts uh from the line probably i think a little bit less than double but more makes than charleston had attempts i want to say i think that was the stat everett was talking about post game and yeah the seahawks dominated the paint against charleston despite charleston rolling out lineups with lampton and fi and smart those guards just get into the paint and score and, and pick up and once right and on paper with with our size you sort of think you know having seen nothing like, oh yeah we're gonna be able to have our way inside and that yeah it plays out very differently well they get they get the offensive rebounds and they they clean the glass but no it's not like you're dumping the ball into smart or lampton they're gonna you know make one or two post moves and score mm-hmm. not even burnham or Fi is doing that it's really just john meeks and that's probably why john's played so well if we had if we had multiple John Meeks or if we had multiple uh, Raekwon Hortons and Demetrius Underwoods to to balance out 
the the defense and offense. Yeah, UNCW is just a, a bad matchup, probably for a lot of teams. That's probably why they're in first place. Right. What else can we talk about before we wrap up here? Are you making any money on your bets? I am making a little money on my bets, okay. but less money than I was making the last time we uh, talked. Mm. We were talking about sort of the the non-conference, like beginning of the year type uncertainty. You know, yeah. that I, I miss those days. Uh, now it's like a lot more trying to stay on top of like Twitter for like lineup information and stuff. It's oh, yeah. a little less fun, honestly, but uh <laughs> What, what, is, what does Vegas think of the Seahawks' odds to win this whole thing? Because most of the advanced stats sites still show a lot of doubt based on the Seahawks' out-of-conference record when they're beating the Mount Olives of the world. Does does Vegas still like them, or are they still leading Hofstra, Towson? Yeah, it's it's annoying, but I do understand it. But most sports books won't give you like mid-season odds on the CAA. Like you could, you know, do ACC or even like Mountain West. I've seen at FanDuel and stuff. Uh, but for the for the smaller mid-major conferences, you can't really bet the teams in season. But it's a good question because, you know, we've seen UNCW just knock off quality opponent after quality opponent in the conference and still not get much respect on Kempom or, or anywhere really. Um, where at a certain point you have to be like, well, you know, they're ten and one at home. They're you know the top yeah. of the conference, so. Um, yeah, but I, I would be curious. And I think before the season, they were lined at 100 to 1, maybe 50. to. I think it went from 100 to 1 to 50 wow. to 1 over the course of a couple of days. And I'm jealous of all the UNCW fans who just happened to got involved for, for the fun of it. I, I would love for them to get bounced in the tournament. <laughs> uh, yep. Towson and Hofstra have, have the better resumes. So I think it's best for the CAA for one of those teams to get in. Towson, Hofstra and uncw are i think are in a tier by themselves right now it's going to come down to especially this towson uncw game coming up and who's going to get the regular season title and the number one seed i'm, I'm just interested in what other people think of of uncw as the favorite but yeah that game of the towson is going to be massive that's on tv right I'm pretty sure yeah i think it's at trask right i think they already played yeah. at towson so yeah it's uh, right. i think it's a cbs sports game and that's the game that got flexed so that's one of mm. the the quirks of the TV package this year is CBS Sports down the line with their their final CAA games gets to pick the game that day that they want to do. And that's something they didn't have last year, but now it prevents, you know, seeing Elon Charleston in February when nothing's on the line. Now you get to see a, a really good game at Trask and it'll be a good game for the CAA to get some, some yeah. national pub. They definitely picked the right game. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. We got the Super Bowl coming up later today. Thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll just leave it with a, a go kooks. All right. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. <laughs>